everybody, J.J. Cooper, Matt Eddy here on a special Baseball America podcast. It's the Top 100 Prospects podcast. May not be the only one we do this year. We're going to, you know, we may talk Top 100 on more than one podcast, but we're definitely talking Top 100 Prospects here today. If you haven't checked it out already, BaseballAmerica.com, we have rolled out the 2021 edition of the Top 100 podcast, Top 100 Prospects here on the podcast. But uh, you can check it out. Wander Franco, probably not a surprise to a whole lot of you. Remains number one, the Ray shortstop prospect, but there's a hundred names there and there's uh, many thousands of additional words on top of the hundred names. But Matt, as we dive into this, the first question I guess I have is, can you ever remember another year doing the top hundred that was anything like this? No, <clears throat> this one was challenging in two regards. Uh, the lack of looks and performance data for many of the prospects. Um, some of them we saw in the major leagues, but only briefly. And the second thing is a lot of these guys would have graduated given a typical season and a typical development path. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about a number of these guys, but we wouldn't even be considering them for this exercise in, in a normal year. And that has led to this being a, a very challenging year. Uh, you know, There was no 2020 minor league season. The first time there has not been a minor league season since the words minor leagues were invented basically in the 1870s, I guess it would be about the time that the minor leagues started to switch from being town ball to being, well, you're baseball, but you're not the highest level of baseball. Uh, you know, it, it's, we, we're trying to gather, we've gathered as much information as we can about players playing at alt site, you know, players who had instructional league, players playing in winter ball. There's a variety of ways that players working out at their local facility. <laughs> but at the same time, you also don't want to go overboard on any of that. And, and I think at the top of this list is a good example of why this is difficult, which is in a normal year, Wander Franco, we're going to talk about the top three. We're giving away the top three on the podcast. I know it's a subscriber only, you know, top 100, but Wander Franco's one, Adley Rushman, the Orioles catcher's two, Julio Rodriguez, the Mariners outfitter's three. In a normal year, we would have a whole lot more information on all three of those players than we do right now. And the difference we run into is Adley Rushman basically still a year and a half after he was drafted essentially lacks a professional resume. He has, I believe, 27 games in the year that he was drafted. And that's the extent of his actual official game professional resume. Wander Franco has not played a game. He'll be 20 when he next, you know, he's getting ready to turn 20, but he has not played a game since he was 18. Now, the games he played as a 17 and 18 year old are exceptional and his resume is about as stout as you can have to go with the tools he has and all that. Julio Rodriguez has a resume that's a little bit thinner, a little bit shorter than Wander Franco's, but is in a similar state, made it to high A. And but again, in his case, you know, we know that he hits the ball very hard. He hit the ball very hard at uh, you know, it's instructs for the Mariners. 
117 mile an hour exit velo on one, which is notable because no one hits the ball, almost no one hits the ball 117 miles an hour, especially almost no one if your name's not Giancarlo Stanton. Um, and because of that, I, we actually had a, a least a little bit of a debate at number one, but I, the better way I could put it, and I wanted to see what you thought, Matt, is, is that the way I would put it is, is that this would have been a very different debate if we were talking about Wander Franco and Adley Rushman and Julio Rodriguez at the end of a normal 2020 season, because then we'd be talking about Adley Rushman and we may have even more comfort in Adley Rushman and what he can do than we do right now, because we'd have seen him over a full pro season, or maybe Julio Rodriguez, we'd feel even more comfortable about because he'd have gone out and basically set double A and triple A on fire, but we don't have that, right? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Rushman to me, was the one who I thought probably was hurt the most by a lack of a season because we didn't get to see him prove all of these amazing tools that he had and showed in college. And, and you know, just building that rapport with pitchers and, and showing that he can lead a pitching staff. I remember having a conversation about this with, with the Mets about Francisco Alvarez, you know, who's their top prospect and as a catcher. I said, well, you know, at least he got dedicated work with the pitchers every day, with the best pitchers in the system. Is that at all equivalent to a minor league season? No, not even close, they said. There's just there's just something to that competitive atmosphere and working through actual, you know, actual jams and games that count. Oh, it it's not anywhere close to the same thing. I, I mean, I don't think it comes in anywhere close. And beyond everything else, you you it's also nothing like the amount of work that you get in a regular season. I mean, which is one of the things with Catchers are hard to evaluate, but take Adley Rushman's case. Now, uh, he's played multiple years of absolutely top-level college baseball, and that absolutely does count for something. And we are in a world where catchers do not, minor league catchers do not catch 120 games in a minor league season. Well, let's be honest, they don't catch 120 games in a major league season very often. But we have not yet seen how Adley Rushman handles 100-plus games. We will not see that until 2021 at the earliest. But that said, you know, again, we also, you hit on a key thing here. You know, Sixto Sanchez, uh, Ian Anderson, who are both top 10 prospects, Dylan Carlson, probably. Those guys probably would have graduated in a normal year. But there's also the possibility Wander Franco could have graduated in a normal year because, if Wanda Franco had gone to, let's say, double A to start the season, is hitting, you know, 350 something with, you know, with some pop in the first half of the season, gets promoted to triple A, I could absolutely have seen there being a scenario where by August he's ready to help. They see that he's ready to help and they say, hey, the, our, our postseason lineup's going to look better with Wanda Franco in it. And Wander Franco could have easily gotten to, you know, 140, 150 at-bats before the season ended. And we'd be talking about an entirely different, uh, you know, structure to our top, you know, top of our top 100. Because that is the crazy year that we have this year. But, but Matt, you know, for you, was it easy to say Wander Franco's number one or was there some debate there? I got to say, overall, it was easy. It was pretty knee-jerk. And, and that is not a reflection of any doubt about Rutschman or, or Julio Rodriguez. It's just just a credit to Franco for, for his you know hitting ability, his discipline, and 
you know, the infield value alone to me is always a separator. If players are close, you want a guy, especially a shortstop, who you'd be able to slot second, third, or short as needed and bat toward the top of the lineup. I just think that's so immensely valuable. I I actually had a little bit more debate. I ended up Wander Franco's number one on my ballot as well. Um, most of our ballots, who was he wasn't unanimous, but he was for most. But but that said, if you asked me, if you said, give me Adley Rushman and Julio Rodriguez versus Wander Franco, and said who's going to have the more valuable big league career, I would take Wander Franco if I'm saying I'm taking this one one to one out of that group. But I would absolutely take Rushman and, and J-Rod if you give me the two in com- combination. And I, if you said who's going to have the better peak value, the best top seasons of his career, I'm probably not going to say Wander Franco of that group. Not that he couldn't – I mean, again, we think Wander Franco is an exceptional prospect. I think he's the safest of these three because he is a middle infielder, and I think his hit tool, his hitting ability – this is a guy who should challenge for batting titles – who should be, you know, that rare guy in the majors nowadays who 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 hits, you know, gets a lot of hard contact and doesn't strike out, you know, all, all these things. But that said, you know, there if there is a question, and you know, we'll have a we'll have a story up at baseballamerica.com probably by the time you hear this podcast that that talks about our debate at number one. And I think Carlos Colazzo made this point. Wander Franco's like tools are not as loud as Julio Rodriguez's tools. Now he has the loudest, his loudest tools are the most valuable tools. We, we put an 80, we, we've covered that multiple times from scouts. We put an 80 on his hit tool. That's a very valuable, you know, tool to have top of the scale, but he has further development. He's yet to turn, you know, he's, he's basically getting ready to turn 20. He has further development to go as far as his power. Uh, you know, he, hit 11 homers in the Appy League, which is really impressive. Then he hit nine between low A and high A, both league, both levels and both leagues that that don't really exactly produce a whole lot of power. But he hits the ball hard. He hits the ball a lot of hard line drives and a hard ground balls. Julio Rodriguez hits the ball hard in the air more consistently, I'd say, at this point. And we would not be having this conversation if it was 2010, but here we are in 2021. So that is a factor that plays into it. Adley Rushman has a chance to have a Wander Franco type offensive contribution while being potentially a, an exceptional defensive catcher. And if he can do that, and if Wander Franco is playing second or third, I could also see his peak value being higher. The, 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 the long answer is that the short answer is all three of these guys are, are really very interesting and very high level prospects. The, the next question I was to ask with that, Matt is, is, was it a clear top three to you or when you get the, you know, the Kellenic and the Torkelsons and the Sixtos and the Pache's, was this kind of all grouped together or was there a clear kind of top tier to you? Oh no, definitely a top tier. Um, it's, it stratifies in between probably those Mariners outfielders, you know, as good as Jared Kellenic is. Um, I think Julio Rodriguez is just that much better, like MVP batting potential better. And how about for you? Uh, yeah, to me, there's a top tier. Uh, although, again, I, I think it's you know it's gradations. You know, I, we have a story also. You'll be checking out baseballamerica.com about who just missed. And and one thing I think is always worth remembering. You know, as you look at our top hundred, the difference between this is not a linear list. The difference between one and ten, and especially the difference between one and twenty on this list, 
to me is significantly larger and studies have shown this. There's much more difference there than there is if you said the difference between 50 and 70 or 80 and 100. Really, if you said the difference between 75 and 125, which we only did the top 100, so you're not seeing who's 125, but the difference between 75 and 125 is smaller than the difference between 1 and 20 in most years. I think this is one of those years, especially the difference. I feel like that this list, it's an unusual year because of everything, but this list, you get to 25 to 50, and somewhere in that range, you start going, okay, this is thinning out a little bit, you know, and I don't feel that way at, at the top, you know, the top 10 on this list in the same way. And that's not that unusual. That's why when we do the Baseball America Prospect Handbook, we do the BA grades and we, you know, when you look at those gradations, there's always this kind of mass of, of prospects who all fit in that 70 to 150 range. And, uh, you know, we have some fun knockdown dragouts. You know, I think Josh Norris tweeted about it. We had nine Zoom meetings, I think, to uh, to hash this out. But at the same time, we know we, you know, we call it at some point, you, you're going to draw the line and say, that's the number 100 prospect. But the difference between number 100 and number 110 is very small. And, you know, e- even at the top of this list, the difference between number, you know, again, the difference between five and 12 on this list, just to look at a couple of guys, Spencer Torkelson and Marco Luciano. I can easily construct a case where 12 a year from now will be ranked higher than five or vice versa, you know, because these are prospects that are the same, you know, world. And, uh, you know, again, we are dealing with, this is a year with less information than normal. We've gathered as much information as we can but I mean, when I say less information, it's not just less information on us, less information for major league teams. One of the things that we will be doing come hopefully April and May, one of the things is going to be kind of going team by team and going through like, who are the players? There are players who are going to show up in the minor leagues in 2021 who will be clearly significantly better players than they've ever been when on a, on a, baseball field, you know, a diamond before. I mean, that's just going to happen. There are going to be 20-year-olds who we last saw as 18-year-olds, you know, among anyone outside of their own organization who have gained 15 to 20 pounds simply because of the maturation process, simply because they've worked hard, you know, over the last couple of years because 18-year-olds can turn in, you know, can mature that way and, and add, you know, strength and weight and all that. There are going to be pitchers who we saw at, you know, sitting 92, 93 without really a breaking ball two years ago, who are going to show up throwing 96, 97 with a, you know, with potentially a hammer. And that's going to happen. And, but we're also going to see the flip side of that. There are going to be players who are going to show up and we're going to go, oh, what happened to them over the last two years? And, you know, for some players, this is going to be, unfortunately, a, uh, you know, uh, 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 a layoff that meant that the rest of professional baseball caught up to them and maybe passed them. And that's what's going to be tough about this. And I do think when you look at our midseason top 100, and I kind of want to throw this to you, Matt, I think we're going to see more movement between this preseason top 100 and the midseason top 100 than I can ever think of us doing 
partly because we're going to be not trying to overreact to it, but we're going to be trying to cram reactions and new information that basically is trying to catch up for what I can really describe as 18 months in some cases of layoff. It really is wild when you think about it. Yeah. In particular, the groups affected most would be 2020 draft picks who, aside from Garrett Crochet, we have not seen in an actual game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then maybe the rare 2019 international signee who make an opening day roster in 2021, you know, that's going to be a very small, small list if there is, if there is anybody, but those are two groups where it's like, yeah, we, we can't wait to see these guys and actually evaluate them in competitive environments. Jason Dominguez. We've been talking about Jason Dominguez for a very long time. Jason Dominguez does not have an official, you know, professional at bat yet. I mean, we're still waiting for that day. And, you know, he is and he is clearly, I mean, ranks among that top tier of highly lauded international signees. Now, we have seen those guys like Wander Franco show up and set the world on fire from day one. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is another example. And then there are, you know, there are also examples. It doesn't happen, thankfully, as often, but there are examples between the time that Jason Dominguez signed his contract and now. In that period of time, Kevin Maitan went from being one of the top hitting prospects to come out of basically the international market in years to kind of having lost much of a lot of his prospect luster. By this point, I, if I remember correctly, he was coming off of an Appy League year where you started to kind of have some questions. You know, oh, he seems a lot bigger than he was. You know, it, the performance was solid, but it wasn't spectacular. Things like that. I'll also throw into that group, you know, the guys who C.J. Abrams and Bobby Witt Jr. I can't wait to see these guys play again in games that count. We hear a lot of great things. I, we have been spent a, a lot of time talking about uh, C.J. Abrams was, you know, one of the stories of instructs, you know, as far as looking great. Bobby Witt Jr. probably had as good a summer camp as any prospect I can think of. But that said, those are, I mean, those are little glimpses of what you hope to see. And even by July of this season, even if the season doesn't start till May, you know, by July, we're going to know a lot more about those guys than we do right now, because in both cases, we're really talking about guys who haven't yet played full season ball, which is crazy because they were 2018 draftees. It really is. And, and Marco Luciano, who you referenced earlier, was in that Arizona League group with those two out of the draft um, in the 2019 Arizona League. So <laughs> he's another one I would throw in that bucket of just we, we just cannot wait to see what they do in a, in a real uh, minor league environment. But we're going to continue our top 100 prospects uh, chat. But for that, we have a quick break. And we're back. So, Matt, I, I'm going to put you on the spot here. You know, when you look, we've, we've talked a little bit about the top of the list. But I'm going to ask you, looking at the 50 through 100, who is a, a prospect that you look at and say, you know, if we're doing this, if we're recording another one of these next year, I think this guy is going to be a lot higher on this list a year from now. That's a great question. I would probably begin with, let me just scan here to make sure. Like I, the guy I kept, 
I would advocate for the most would probably be uh, Cubs outfielder Brennan Davis. Um, I just think there's a a lot of untapped potential here offensively, um, physically, you know, health wise with a healthy season in 2021. I think he's going to shoot way up. I think he's going to show the the offensive upside that is, that is there and uh, move into the top 50. I, the guy I'm going to go with is uh, Pirates right-hander Quinn Priester. We've heard, again, this is one of those things where the balance of trying to not go overboard, but at the same time weigh in the value of what you heard from 2020 is a, is a tricky one. We've heard a lot of very positive feedback outside of the Pirates organization. You know, uh, you know, A lot of positive feedback on Quinn Priester kind of looks the part of what you are looking for in a high school prep pitcher, uh, you know, draftee, you know, and let's both acknowledge, we both acknowledge that's a risky demographic, you know, like uh, I'm next going to try to talk to you about some prep catchers. How about, you know, that's a, mm. it's a risky demographic, but that said, there are players who do come out of it. And, and uh, Quinn Priester, especially, I do think that we are now starting to kind of be on potentially another upcycle of development. Pitching development has changed so much. And I think what teams look for in high school pitchers, no, it's not that far uh, ago that that what you look for in a high school pitcher at the top of the draft was premium velocity. But, you know, now it's about, you know, it's about the, it's, it's more about kind of the, the, the guys who seem to often be the top guys are guys who are starting to add that velocity, but more have solid velocity, projectability, but also excellent attributes to their pitches and also an aptitude for continuing to improve, continuing to develop, which is a very important part of being a pitcher now, because now as a pitcher, whatever you are at 20 is not what you're going to be at 25 in a way much more so than ever was true before. Like, you know, I mean, you're, you're looking at all these analytical attributes of pitching that we literally could not measure a decade ago that are now a very important part of this too. I think Priester is the guy who who really does kind of stand out for that. Um, the flip side of that, I, I'll start this one off. I'll give you time. There are also guys in here who we struggled with. What do you do with this guy? You know, Brendan McKay did not make this list. I'll give you as an example of a guy. Who, what do we do with this guy? Brendan McKay has been a, a top hundred prospect ever since he was drafted with the Rays, the left-hander. Coming off labrum surgery. You know, I could absolutely, now he's not going to be on the 100 again for long if he does make it back on the 100, because I think he basically needs, I think, four outs to graduate. But he didn't pitch in 2020 because of the labrum surgery. We kind of have to see what he's going to come back like. I mean, he did, this is not a guy who had blow you away stuff. He had exceptional control and command, solid stuff. That's not going to necessarily, you know, if, if the stuff backs up a little bit, he didn't have the same margin of error as some of the guys on this list, but the guy I'm going to throw out that I, I think you are the same way as I am. I don't know what to do at this point with Forrest Whitley. I, you know, the Astros right-hander, their number one prospect, he remains their number one prospect. I, the, if you'd have told 2018 JJ that, you know, come in a time machine and said, by the way, Forrest Whitley is going to be on your 2021 top hundred list. I would have, <laughs> you know, I, I would have basically shaken my head and said, there's no way that's possible. You know, Oh, did his arm fall off? But here we are. We are a ways away. I mean, you have to really go back besides these glimpses we get in the Arizona Fall League. You have to go back to really 2018 
in a regular season game to see we saw to say the last time we saw Forrest Whitley look like the Forrest Whitley who is at one point as elite as any pitching prospect in the game. It's still potentially in there, but I mean, what do you what do you do with him, Matt? Yeah, for me, he's he's one of these prime uh, change of scenery candidates. You just love to see what he could do in a new organization. You know, similar to what we saw with Lucas Giolito. You know, he got traded as a prospect, struggled. I mean, he took his lumps for you know, two or three seasons in the majors, and now has developed into uh, you know a true number one starter for a playoff caliber team. Um, you know, likewise, Garrett Whitley was a challenging one to rank. Um, for a completely different reason, I thought Bobby Dahlbeck with the Red Sox was very challenging to rank as well. Yes, given his his age, his, you know, his all or nothing offensive profile, um, the fact that he might be limited to first base in Boston because of Devers, um, that that makes for a very tough combination to to rank alongside of like eighteen year olds right out of high school. You know, how do you how do you line those two guys up? And what is interesting with it also is you just hit on one of the key things is, is Bobby Dahlbeck, who's a solid third baseman defensively. I mean, I think he has value there at the, at the hot corner. A lot of that depends on, okay, is he going to get to play that? Because you're right. If you limit him to first base, then the, the value that he provides, it, it, it is diminished to some extent. And you know, what you're going to get is a guy who hits a whole lot of homers and, and probably not a whole lot else. Now, you know, again, that that's also we have floor versus ceiling. This is the guy who's already done that to some extent in the major leagues, and you feel pretty confident that this is kind of the guy he is. And you're comparing him and you're ranking him, like you said, against 18 year olds who who basically haven't really uh, you know had a, had a chance to do a whole lot yet. You know, he's not a whole lot far off on this list from Tyler Soderstrom. You you couldn't. I mean, they're at the opposite ends of the spectrum as far as you know age as far as you know how far they are from the majors as far as you know we know that Bobby Dalpeck is a third baseman who also can play first and those are pretty much the position Tyler Soderstrom could end up playing I still feel like about probably five different positions on the field you know maybe more than that because he's a catcher for now but he could also be a corner outfielder he also could be potentially you know a, a, a corner infielder like there are a lot of potential there's a lot of things we don't know with him as we're comparing him to a Bobby Dahlbeck who Bobby Dahlbeck, Bobby Dahlbeck will not be on this list in 2022. He'll either have graduated or he will not be on this list. That's, that's all that's left. Tyler Soderstrom could be on this list for several years to come. And to be fair to Dahlbeck, three true outcomes would be a better way to describe him than all or nothing because he Mm -hmm. does walk. um, And he did manage to hit 263 despite a a really high strikeout rate of 42%. And, and again, I mean, one of the things that we are seeing, I, you know, there's been a number of studies out there, are very interesting studies that point out that if you get to the major, if you look at the major league level and you look at, you know, take your whatever offensive measurement you want to use, WOBA, you know, what, I mean, OPS plus, whatever you want to use and a war and compare it to strikeout rate, there is very little correlation, you know, at, at the major league level between a high strikeout rate generally at the major league level has not prevented players from having offensive impact in the offensive environment we are right now. Now that said, it is one of those things that is somewhat self-selecting because the players who strike out at such a rate in the minors 
don't make it to the majors. Like there are players like that doesn't mean that strikeouts are immaterial nowadays to measuring a player's offensive contribution. When you talk about player development in my mind, because there are players in the minors whose inability to make contact so affects their offensive game that they never make it to the majors. And, you know, they may have struck out 55% of the time if they made it to the majors, but they're not getting the opportunity. But that said, Bobby Dahlbeck is a guy who has made it to the majors and has so far shown that he can make an offensive impact. Now, I think you could make the argument that Dahlbeck's offensive impact is going to kind of be one of those guys who it kind of depends a lot on the matchup. Bobby Dahlbeck is going to hit a lot of mistakes for home runs. I do think that he will probably continue to be a a player who, if a pitcher executes properly, the days where Bobby Dahlbeck is facing the ace of a other team, probably going to be a bad day for Bobby Dahlbeck. The days that Bobby Dahlbeck is getting to bat in the sixth against the uh, fifth guy in a bullpen, those are the days where he's going to feast. And there are a lot of those guys in the majors nowadays. I mean, everyone's carrying seven guys in their bullpen and another five, six, seven who are sitting in AAA who are going to get 20, 30, 40 innings or so. So there's going to be a lot of opportunities for that. But that's kind of the guy he is, you know, (laughs) but he is, I think he's another one of those. I think Jose Garcia, who's on here at the the back of this, the red shortstop. Jose Garcia can absolutely play shortstop. He was not ready for the major leagues last year. He did get a chance to do that, but he wasn't ready for it. And if it all comes together, there's offensive impact there to go with, uh, you know, really solid defense at shortstop. But he needs probably, I mean, he was making the jump from high A to the majors. He needs more time in the minors to develop. But again, we're going to know a lot more about this guy in a normal year where you say, okay, he, he made that adjustment to double A and you feel really good about him showing that he can make those adjustments much more so than he made the jump from high A to majors and found, oh, he's not ready for the majors, which is not shocking considering he was making the jump from high A to the majors. That's (laughs) again, I'm not, I don't want this to be a continual complaint fest over 2020 because, you know, but it is, we, I, it, you know, again, if you're, if you're listening to this and you, you know, play fantasy, you do sim leagues, you're just a prospect fan, you, you know, whatever it is, understand the challenges that you're facing trying to do this are also challenges that MLB teams are facing as they try to figure out what to make of the craziest year that we've ever faced. You know, with that, Matt, who's, you know, one, before we let this run, who is, um, someone else at the back of this list or who's someone who's just off of the list who you, you know, you kind of hope to see on a top hundred before too long. Yeah. Among the just missed crowd. I mean, you know, Reed Detmers is, is pretty popular in the industry just because there's a lot of certainty there. You know, the left-handed out of Louisville. Um, but the guy who might have surprised me the most, like just kind of hearing, hearing what he looked like in instructional league might be the nationals first round pick Kate Cavalli sounds like he has pretty pretty tremendous arm strength and an ability to, to spin a breaking ball that maybe wasn't always there in college. He's, I think what the term we kept coming up with was uh, wrist flexion, right? <laughs> um, so to me, Cavalli is, is one of my more highly anticipated um, 2021 debuts. What I'm going to throw on there is 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 I, I would expect that George Kirby for the Mariners is going to be on this list uh, pretty quickly. Um, he, when he was at Elon, 
he was considered one of the most well-rounded college pitchers in an admittedly bad pitching class. But he was very well-rounded. Then the question was, ah, is there a lot of impact there? Is this guy going to be a guy who ends up being a, a fringe starter just because he doesn't have really bat-missing pitches in, the, in, in, in pro ball? And, oh, that has changed. Uh, you know, he was, his velocity kind of tailed off a little bit his, uh, his draft year. And you were seeing kind of a lot more low 90s and mid 90s. And now we're seeing mid to 99. Um, the slider has developed because of that power. So if he just goes out over 10, 15 starts, does in, in the minors what we were hearing about in 2020, watch out. And that's a guy to me, you know, he didn't miss the list by much, but he's a guy who would not shock me at all. We're, we're not really looking for him to have to make any more steps. It's just really... I mean, he barely missed the list as it is, but a couple of graduations and really any kind of validation of, yep, this is still the same guy that we saw, you know, we heard about in Instructs. And, you know, that's going to be enough, or, or outside, I think it was more than Instructs, but that's going to be enough to really kind of uh, help him take a step forward, I think. But, you know, but it, this was an interesting exercise, but it always is fun. This is one of the more enjoyable things that we do. I think Matt... You know, we're both, uh, I, I think we're into our uh, second decades of, of doing this now, which is, uh, which is crazy. You know, um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, we, we both came on, uh, you know, basically at the start of the 21st century uh, to be, I think you beat the uh, start of the 21st century. I came on just on the other end of the start of the 21st century to, to baseball America and at, you know, it, it, it doesn't ever get less fun to be talking prospects, to be talking to, you know, front office sources and debating about this stuff and, and trying to take temperatures of, you know, are we too high on this guy? Are we too low on this guy? Oh, we're hearing this feedback here. We're hearing this feedback there. That said, for all of us, we are just looking forward to actual games to, you know, it will be even more fun, but we're evaluating this again. And we're not talking about that, the, the the last minor league game feels so long ago at, at this point. You know, <laughs> I, I was watching for, you know, around the rule five time, I was watching some players and you're realizing it's like, this is late in the 2019 season. And I'm watching, you know, Ryan Jeffers in high A and that feels like of a, a different time, you know, now, I mean, what, <laughs> I, you know, I, we said it's it's more different it's more difficult more different than anything we've ever done, but you know what is your kind of final takeaways as we kind of wrap up this top hundred prospects podcast? Matt, what what are some of the things you took away from this year's process? Oh yeah, <laughs> I, it's one of those things where you don't really appreciate it until it's gone. And I, by that I mean the minor leagues, like because everything I echo everything you just said. <laughs> it's it's hard, you know. I mean, you know, it's again, and that, and that's for us just watching and, you know, you know, and talking to people and all that, uh, you know, if you're a player, I, again, I feel for, I feel for the 2020 draftees, but man, I feel for the 2019 and the 2019 international class and all, because it, it, what you were expecting to do has not been anything close to what you've gotten to do so far. And I do hope we all hope if you're listening to this, I, I can't imagine you don't hope that that will be different in 2021. The good news is, you know, it does look like we've reported at baseballamerica.com 
The season is going to be delayed. I mean, they already know that. MLB has already informed teams. Double A, Class A, and below are not going to go to spring training until after the major leagues and AAA players have cleared out. So we already know that we're going to have a delayed start to the season. But as it is right now, we also it hopeful. We're all hopeful. There's a decent shot we're going to have a, a 2021 season, which we have obviously not had a 2020 season. So you know that is that is the hope. And with that, for Matt Eddy, I'm JJ Cooper. Thank you for the download. If you get a chance, you know, feel free to uh, review us on whatever your favorite podcast catcher is. We'll continue. We'll have some more uh, top hundred talk, I'm sure, over the next couple of weeks around the podcast. Thank you again for the download. The format. I'm JJ. So long, everybody. <laughs>